Hello, thank you for joining us. I'm Rabbi Michael Gilboa with my co-host Rabbi Juan Mejia, and this is Welcome, the Conversion to Judaism podcast, your source for all conversation, well, a lot of conversation about conversion to Judaism. And we're joined by a special guest today, Rabbi John Carrier, who's joining us from Pasadena, California. And so we're going to have a nice, great conversation about conversion and about the terminology of conversion. What do we call it? Do we call ourselves converts, Jews by choice, Gerim in the Hebrew? We're going to take a look. But first, we're going to start with a little bit of conversion in the news. Today's is a little different, maybe because it's about when conversion doesn't show up in the news. I'm speaking about this article from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, uh, the JTA. It's a great article. It's fascinating. It's about the growth of the Jewish community in the United States and the growth of diversity in the Jewish community in the United States. It's a very worthwhile topic to discuss, um, but there's something missing. The headline, as you can see, reads immigration, intermarriage, and education making U.S. Jewry larger and more diverse. Well, are those the only things making us more diverse? Maybe we're missing something here. Maybe there's another way people are joining the Jewish people that isn't quite in this list. Obviously, I'm being a little facetious here. This is the Conversion to Judaism podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, this is yet another way that we see conversation about conversion based on, as we've discussed before, a narrative where you join, you, you, it's a melting pot and you melt in, your distinctiveness disappears, and we are made just like everyone else. And that's just not the case. One sixth of American Jews converted to Judaism, and we have unique experiences coming in, and we continue to have unique experiences as we live Jewish lives. And it's worth mentioning, it's worth noting. They do, the, the article does mention conversion, but again, it's the, it's this alliance of you cannot talk about conversion in the United States without bringing intermarriage. It's, it's almost in one breath. Shamor v'zachor You have, you're saying it at the same time when people say conversion, they're actually uh, having a conversation about conversion and vice versa. And, and uh, you are in Iowa, I am in Oklahoma, John is in California, and we've spoken before about how this might be kind of a coastal bend, uh, how communities that, that make a lot of the Jewish noise in the news, that is New York, California, um, I don't know, Chicago, Houston maybe, uh, where you have a very, very robust uh, critical mass of Jews. And then yes, conversion is viewed mostly through, through this issue of intermarriage, uh, but in other areas of the country, certainly where I am, that is not the main narrative of conversion at all. Uh, it, it's completely separate. It's usually a seeking path. It's a religious path, um, not devoid of any connections to peoplehood, of course, but, but 
very very focused on the religion so let's just I'll, I'll read a little bit of the of the of the text here and again this is not you know this is not to call anyone out and i know very often journalists don't get the final say in what their headlines are so i'm not trying to call out anyone specifically here but just to take a look at the text here it says over the past three decades jewish immigrants have come in large numbers from the former soviet union latin america and israel Intermarriage, rather than acting as a net negative for Jewish population, has actually resulted in more Jews, as the children of intermarried parents increasingly identify as Jewish and some spouses convert. And Jewish education has helped retain the number of Americans who identify as Jews and drawn some, quote, Jews by choice, unquote, into the fold. None of those statements are false, but that's definitely not how I would have framed a conversation around conversion. Hi, this is John. I just want to second uh, what Rabbi Juan is saying about um, the different experience of conversion in, let's say, middle America, uh, because a lot of the students that I've worked, uh, because a lot of the students that I've worked with are coming not from intermarriage, but just are sort of seeking or have heard about Judaism, uh, because, not because it's proximate to them, but just because we now have a world culture, as it were, or access to news and things like that. And so they discover Judaism among a menu of options, and that's what draws them in. And uh, certainly a lot of it has to do with uh, intermarriage, uh, but it's not the master narrative that it used to be, right? It used to be, people, would people used to assume that uh, everybody in the conversion class that you're teaching is, you know, Christie's engaged to Shmulek. Mm. Um, and that's true about a third of the time in my experience. You know, sometimes people are in the, the intro class because they're in that situation. Sometimes it's just because it's, you know, there's sort of it's, uh, elder hostel, if you will, people learning about their heritage uh, because they've got some time on their hands. Um, and then about a third of it, I would think, uh, is people who are seeking and this is one of the paths that there's that they're walking down and so it has you know nothing to do with uh, a relation a current relationship with a jew sometimes it's a past relationship with a jew who they're no longer seeing and so i mean i think that's a big source of where people are coming from these days is um and i and i hate to use this word because it's so squishy spirituality <laughs> People are drawn to Judaism because of the contents of Judaism and not necessarily uh, because of a person that they're in a relationship with. And so I think that's what's missing in this article. Uh, at least it's not really delved into, is that people are into, people are interested in Judaism for its own sake. And that is one of the key drivers that's diversifying us, especially today, I think. And not just and not just in the article, I think like when people, the few instances in popular culture where conversion to Judaism has been addressed, uh, sex in the city is probably the most, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, most well-known case, but that that is very definitely couched in this mass. I love, I love this master narrative of conversion, uh, but I'm very surprised it's actually only a third. Uh, in, does your program... Uh, have a big catching area or is it more localized so i'm, I'm gonna so i'm gonna say it's not a, it's not a scientific third this is just sort of the 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 um breadth of my experience teaching uh a per, you know a couple of particular intro to judaism classes over the last six plus years um and so that's those are sort of the the, the three buckets but it does break down roughly 
like that. I'll just say it's more, it, it's way more than you think. And the uh, conversion for quote unquote for marriage is what is, is clearly present, but not as uh, high a proportion. There's one other thing I want to hit. Um, and this is scientific and I wish I had the, the, the source. I cannot remember. I think it was the survey in Boston. Um, but it was a look at people who are quote unquote converting for marriage or converting for their partner. And it was like a deep dive into these people's motivation. And it was very interesting. It broke down to about a third of them never would have done this if they weren't marrying a Jew. They feel a little pushed into doing it maybe by the mm. family or by their, their partner. Um, and they're likely to not really have much of a Jewish life beyond the sort of nominal connection um, after the conversion. But it's, uh, it's largely spurred by a desire to have the rabbi do the wedding or something, something along those lines. So that's about a third of people. Then there are about a third of people who um, it never really crossed their mind, Judaism, uh, but they fell in love with a Jew. And then over time, they've fallen in love with Judaism. And those people go on to have very involved Jewish lives. They're active at the synagogue or what have you. Um, and this, that's just the order of how it happened. Some people fall in love with Judaism first. Some people fall in love with a Jew first. Uh, but um, you know, it, it, the one doesn't negate the other. And then the final third was really fascinating to me. It was people who um, they wanted to convert They've been interested in Judaism for a long time, and they got it in their heads that the way to convert is to marry a Jew. And it's like getting a green card. Right, right. Now, that well, movie with Gerard Depardieu and uh, uh... right. The study doesn't go into this, but it's fascinating to me because, like, as rabbis, we're going to want to say, like, that's not actually how you do it. Um, there, <laughs> it's not you, how that works. Not how that works. You just show up. You just show up and say you want to convert, and you're welcome into the conversion program, presumably. Um, uh, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, like, we can say these people have a mistaken impression of how you enter into the Jewish community. <laughs> Maybe not, actually, because they might have a more subtle, nuanced understanding of Judaism than the halakha actually uh, points to. Because, yeah, people are more accepting of someone who's converting in the context of a marriage um, when they can sort of put you in that box and say, oh, she's converting or he's converting um, for, for the wedding. Um, and then, then it's like, oh, well, now you make sense to me. Whereas someone who's converting for spiritual reasons, you don't make sense. And so these people might be the smartest of all of us, that they figured out that the way to do it is to marry a Jew, then convert, and then you get all the Jewish goodies. You get the Judaism you've been hoping for for a long time. Right. They're picking up on signals we think we're not sending. Exactly. Yes. In yes. my own personal story, uh, it was kind of like my, my distant Jewish background. What made what made it palatable for like, oh, well, he's descended from Jews like his mm. his great great grandfather or all the way going back to Spain were Jews. Therefore, that makes it more palatable. And in, in my own work, uh, when I'm talking to congregations, uh, and it's something that I have been deliberately moving away because I, I, I do want to affirm this new paradigm, like reinforce and, and sanctify this new paradigm, which is the original paradigm. If you look in the, in, in the Talmud, if you look in the, in the Torah, if you look 
in all of our sources of our traditions, conversion is framed as this ultimate act of conscience, period. And then there's the, 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 this complex sugya in, in Yevamot about like, well, if you have all of these ulterior motives, then Rabbi Nehemia thinks that maybe you're not so kosher, but in the end, you really need to affirm like your commitment to, to, to the relationship with God. But, but, but yes, I, I think our community speaks volumes, uh, whether it is through subtle, through art, like uh, the, the Jewish producers that are creating the Seinfeld episode and Charlotte and Sex and the City or Orange is the New Black, which I think is a, is a, is a unique example because it begins, uh, oh my God, she's converting to get better food. But in the end, she's affirming, like I, I found my, my spiritual home. Uh, but yes, I, I think people sometimes need like a, like a crutch. And if you're carrying the crutch, then, oh, okay, well, we'll now you know where you're limping. <laughs> you're, you're crutch. Like, well, that's either your, 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 your spouse, your partner, or it's, oh, my grandfather. I have this in my background and I am recovering it from the ethnic perspective. But, but yes, the, 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 this narrative of I convert because this is amazing and this makes my life better is still not uh, represented uh, in our popular culture or the way the Jewish community speaks about itself in its in, in its in its articles and its self-reflection. No, I was gonna say I, I know we're I know we're talking about a news article which is necessarily concise and doesn't have to, you know, doesn't maybe need to or can delve into the complexity of it. But um, when, when you when you said the word uh, crutch one, I, I had another word pop into my head. And, and Michael, you're a film major, so maybe you can elaborate on this. Uh, the word is MacGuffin. Mm, right. What uh, what Hitchcock? I think it was Hitchcock who was talking about. You need some sort of uh, what is it lure that pulls you through the story, right? There may be sort of this initial cause that allows the rest of the drama to unfold, but there are lots of reasons why people get started. Uh, the interesting thing is when you start to hear the longer story, like a person may have come in through uh, through a relationship. But then what does the next 20 years look like? Um, also, I mean, I came in kind of sideways, if you will. Uh, uh, Rabbi, uh, I think it's uh, Charles Simon, who does a lot of stuff with the men's club of the of United Synagogue, uh, was giving a presentation. He quoted this statistic. He said one time where, um, you know, when a person converts to Judaism after getting married, the typical, let's say, gestation period <laughs> is about 10 years. And, you know, often it's, it's where uh, two people get married, one person doesn't, you know, one person's Jewish, one's not, one, but they, they're not sort of don't feel compelled to, to uh, become Jewish at the time of the marriage, but then they have kids. And then when that oldest kid starts approaching preparation uh, for B'nai Mitzvah, you know, becoming a Bar Mitzvah, or Bat Mitzvah, et cetera, um, then the, then the non-Jewish parent starts studying and starts learning and, and then for whatever reason, they hit a tipping point. And that was uh, my story kind of in the sense that I married a Jewish person who had no, in, you know, did not compel me to convert at all. Um, said this, you know, we agreed that we were going to raise our kids as Jews. And I said, that's fine with me. Um, I thought uh, kids should have a thing. And she felt more strongly about her thing than I felt about my thing. So, well, you know, their thing will be Judaism. And it was only after, it wasn't bar mitzvah, but it was more preschool. 
you know, when my, when my son started asking questions, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And I thought, well, I should probably take a class, right? And just to feel like a competent father in that situation. And the more I learned, the more I felt like, you know, I, I, I found a vocabulary that I had been missing, right? And it helped me articulate, it helped, it articulated the world in a way that my own tradition didn't. And that's what kind of drew me into it. And so, and then that relationship ended, after, you know, after several years later, uh, and many people wondered, would I stay Jewish or had I converted for that marriage? Um, and then later I decided to be a rabbi. So I know you talked about this uh, on a previous episode that, that people are shy about asking and we're shy about telling. And that has a deep halakhic basis of not embarrassing people, but from my experience, my personal experience and my experience with my students, um, this is a part of our story that is incredibly important to us, right? Like who, who I am as a person is embedded with the story of my conversion. And so to understand me fully, you know, I, for people to understand me fully, I need to be able to tell that story. And so that's the, that's the tension we're in. I know you talk about that someplace else. We won't dig into it, but, um, but I, I think that's, I think that's what we need to do is create more of these conversations. John, we should, we should get into it. You've already told a little bit of your story um, just for, for the, for the listeners, for the viewers, just a little, uh, a little brief bio. Uh, Rabbi John Carrier was ordained at the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies uh, along with me. Uh, you Alliance. <laughs> You've worked at uh, um, Burbank Temple Emmanuel. Now you are at Pasadena Jewish Temple and Center. Um, you also wrote a book, The Promised Life, which is fantastic. Founded the Jew Curious School, an online learning portal, especially for people who don't have access to synagogues or traditional learning. Um, and you've taught the Miller Introduction to Judaism program uh, for more than five years, the Florence Melton School of Adult Jewish Learning for two years, and you're doing a lot of cool stuff. And um, I'd love I'd love to hear more more about it and more about your um, your 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 Jewish journey, your conversion journey, your rabbinic journey. Uh, what does conversion mean to you? How does it all How does it all fit in? Uh, I know we we started hearing the beginning of the story here, but it sounds like uh, there's there's a uh, there's there's plenty more to discuss. <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for having me on the show, and I think you're doing really important work, and I'm happy to contribute to it in whatever small way I can. Um, so, yes, my name's John. I am a rabbi. I have been for about six and a half years now, going on seven. Um, you, the bio makes me sound pretty exciting. I'm not doing a lot right now. I'm just trying to get through, as I think a lot of us are. This is, you know, for for his for posterity's sake, this is being recorded during what was about 10, 12 months into the coronavirus pandemic, and so um, right now it's just day to day. We just found out we had a, um, a an exposure to COVID on our staff, which has sort of thrown everything into disarray and has mm. certainly uh, spoiled our weekend. <laughs> Um, but so we're, we're figuring out our way through that just as everybody else is. And so, uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, where, where to begin. Uh, so I, I will say, uh, one important piece of why I do what I do is, uh, this conversation I had with Rabbi Adam Greenwald, who's a you know, friend and mentor teacher of mine, um, who I, I came to one time with sort of a, a sticky problem. I was a new rabbi in uh, in a synagogue that you know, sort of a small and mighty synagogue, as the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism would classify as, about a, about a hundred families, and 
we were trying to crack the nut that everybody else was trying to crack at that time and is still trying to crack. And if, if, you, if you've spent any time at a congregation, uh, you've heard the question, Rabbi, what are we getting to, what are we doing to get the young people in? Oh, yes. Like, how do we get the young people to join us? How do we get these quote unquote millennials? Uh, and we were even, we even hosted a session of multiple synagogues on our side of the city in Los Angeles, uh, where <laughs> it was a wonderful, evening. the Federation asked us to do this. So um, it, it was, uh, you know, ask a millennial, I guess is what they were called. So they brought some, they, they brought uh, what is it, the, the next gen folks over. They brought these people who were uh, people in the Federation working on um, millennials within the Jewish community. And see, the, so these were millennials who were sort of telling their story to a collection of synagogues of, you know, it's like, you know, you're, you're wondering what we're up to. Here's what we're up to. Here's what we think about. Uh, and, it, and, I, and I'll say it felt a little bit like a petting zoo. <laughs> like, like uh, it's like, it just come see the millennial. They did they, they, they tricks. And um, I, I was really proud of my synagogue in the sense that where a lot of synagogues were asking the question, okay, how do we get you to do the thing that we're doing, right? Why don't you pay dues? Why, you know, why don't you join? Why don't you, why don't you get involved? Why don't you come to Friday night services and light candles and all that stuff? Um, and the folks from my synagogue were saying, well, how do we, like, how do we give you what you want to do? Like, what is it that, what is it that you need out of Jewish life and how do we do that better? Um, but after the conversation, you know, after the, you know, it was a great conversation, um, but after you know, it was wrestling a little bit because everybody's, again, everybody's trying to figure this out. How do we get this demographic in? And simultaneously, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be as a rabbi. Or I, get, I don't know what my identity was as a rabbi, because I'll say, and, and you guys can speak to this as well, you know, going through rabbinical school as a convert, I never wanted my rabbinate to be about me being a convert. Right. Right. There was so much more to the story than my story. And, and, and I happened to be a convert who was, who was taking a part in the story. I never wanted to be about, I never wanted to be the convert rabbi, right. uh, much less the converter rabbi. I sound like a transformer. <laughs> um, so I'm having this conversation uh and yet, and yet I'll go back to that piece of my story is important to who I am. And I keep running into people who are interested in Judaism the way I was interested in Judaism um, as a spiritual path, as a wisdom tradition. And how do I serve those folks? And so I'm, I'm talking to Rabbi Greenwald and said, okay, I, I have limited time, limited resources. Do I put all my eggs chasing, you know, after millennials and figuring out how to serve them, or do I focus my attention or a lot of my attention on reaching out to these folks who are coming out of the woodwork, who want to know more about Judaism, right? And, and who, who need somebody to hold the door open for them the way everybody held the door open for me. And I felt like I kind of had to pick because I couldn't do both. And, and what, uh, what he said to me was, so you're asking me, should you put your time and energy into chasing after the same people who everybody else is chasing after and still don't want to do what you want to do? <laughs> 
Or do you want to talk to the people who are desperately interested in what you're doing, who nobody's talking to? And so from that point, I won't say I ignored the millennials, but I also realized, and I'll, I'll tell this story out of school, you know, there's sort of a rabbi saying, you know, we get them when their kids are born and when their parents die, right? <laughs> that's when people are, that's when a lot of people are interested in spirituality in general is those times of existential crisis. Right. Uh, as I was talking to somebody yesterday, you know, this person was concerned that her 20 something children were sort of in an atheist phase. And I said, that's awesome. That's a great time to be an atheist yeah. <laughs> in your twenties. That's, that's the most fun time to be an atheist, I think. But it's like, that's because that you're not there yet. Right. right. And so, um, uh, what I, I started doing was saying, okay, how do I serve people who are where I was 10, 20 years ago? And I just started making these YouTube videos of just, you know, with my phone in my office, uh, you know, he, he just Parshat Hashavu, you know, talking about the Torah portion of the week, talking about why do we do Jewish things? I had an intro to Judaism textbook and I literally went through the glossary in the back and did, you know, 90 second videos on what different words meant, right? Or, or talked about holidays and things like that. So I just started putting out these Judaism 101 kind of videos and people started responding to them. Right. And then I started my first podcast, the wisdom community, more of a, more of a monological, you know, podcast, just me sharing some thoughts. I think I had like eight or 10 episodes maybe of just me monologuing. Um, but it was, but I learned a little bit about podcasting there. And then uh, about, you know, three, three, four years into being in a synagogue, which I love, I mean, I love the synagogue. They made me the rabbi that I am. I was getting more and more traction with this online work. And, I've, and I'm, I'm looking at the world out there. I said, there's a, there's a ton of good rabbis to serve synagogues out there. Like when I came into rabbinical school, it was flipped. I came in in like 2009, where this seemed like a good career move because there was a shortage of good rabbis out there for mm -hmm. compared to the number of synagogue jobs there were. And the year I started school was the first year that wasn't true, where, <laughs> where it sort of flipped. And because everything was flipped in 2008, 2009, because the economic crisis. But... I, I'm, I'm sitting there on the decision, whether do I, whether I renew my contract, this place that I love and had tons of friends and really supportive of me, um, or do I pivot into, you know, do I double down on this work in the digital space where to this day, if you go on YouTube and type in rabbi <laughs> in the search bar, um, the, again, these, these, these are not scientific numbers. This is just my estimate. Uh, the faces that pop up are 90% bearded, meaning they don't have you know beards over 90% of their face, but, but that's almost true. Taking this but, personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Um, but when you, when you look at like the diversity of Jews in the world, it's mostly us, right? And in a sense that, that just by numbers, the vast majority of Jews in America are conservative or reform or someplace in that let's say mainline Judaism and only 10 to 15% in the, in, in orthodoxy and even a much smaller percent in what I call fundamentalist Judaism, where so let's say if you got 5% of fundamentalist Jews making 90% of the digital content out there. So when people are looking, when these people who are desperately seeking Judaism as a spiritual path, go looking for that on the internet, they find something that is, not representative, right. I think. And right. so I thought at least there's room to do some more teaching. And so um, 
uh, I did something that, you know, you don't hear people talk about <laughs> in Judaism a lot. I prayed on it <laughs> and I said, okay, um, you know, should I, should I stick with this synagogue that I, that I, that I'm in, or should I take a leap and create um, this digital content for people for whom it might be helpful? Uh, and so I decided to do that. And so I started making more videos. I started the Jew Curious Show podcast, uh, which was a lot of fun. I think we've got about 35, 38 episodes in the can, still available on iTunes, I think. Um, and then, uh, so, and it was great. And I said, okay, what can I, what can I do next? How can I help these folks next? And so I started polling my podcast audience and said, okay, how can I serve you? Like, what's the next level? And I found this mix of uh, people who were watching my videos, uh, listening to the podcast, uh, discovered that I'm going to say about half of them were on this kind of conversion path. You know, they were interested in converting to Judaism and they were looking for answers on how to do that and just general answers on Judaism 101. Um, there was a good mix in there of people who were Jewish and were seeking uh, more information about their own heritage. Um, there was a good uh, chunk of folks who were devoted Christians who wanted to understand Judaism better for, you know, I think the legitimate goal of understanding Jesus better. Hmm. And so it was this mix of people, none of it, you know, wasn't just one bucket. So I just called them the Jew curious, right? <laughs> you know, people who were curious about Judaism for a number of different reasons. And so I thought, okay, well, how can I go deeper than I can on an interview show? I started teaching a class. Uh, and so I made a website, the Jew curious school. Um, ran it for about a year and a half, you know, had something like a total of, I want to say 120 lessons ranging from 30 to 90, 90 minutes, got a lot of content in there about holidays, Parshat HaShukur, all sorts of stuff. Um, probably at a peak, had about 50 students uh, concurrent, concurrently enrolled in the school. And then along the way, I, uh, uh, I get a call from a uh, buddy of mine who he says, you know, our, our synagogue's sort of between rabbis right now. Can you come help us out, you know, a couple weekends a month when we have a bar mitzvah or something like that. And so I went to uh, Pasadena and helped out, you know, I, I hit it off with a canter and, and you know, we, we work pretty well together. And, uh, and so I said, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this too. Like I had missed being a part of a, of a community. I, I didn't realize how much I would miss that. At first, I remember the first uh, high holidays that I didn't have to be in the pulpit. I was like, yes, I get to sit in the cheap seats, right? Uh, for once and I don't have that, all that high holiday stress. And then I sat in the cheap seats and I realized how bored I was. I'm like, look at all the fun those rabbis are having up there. Very nice, very nice. I wanna circle back to something you were talking about, about online content and the percentage of online content and how this can um, this, this can lead to misconceptions. This can lead to misunderstandings about what Judaism is, about what uh, Judaism looks like in sort of broad demographic trends. I just last night, actually, I had a call with uh, someone who was thinking of joining um, my conversion program, The Footpath. Uh, she's very interested in converting. She's looking, you know, for for her uh, for you know her her place. Um, uh, but um, she wasn't sure if she's going to join my program. She's going to join our class uh, because she's still waiting to hear back from the Chabad rabbi. Um, and I told her, like, if I'm being very honest with you, you're not going to hear back from the Chabad rabbi. Um, or if 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 you do, it's going to be a, a polite um, thanks, but no thanks. Because you, you know, you've been watching all this online content and you've got the impression that they're very welcoming and they're very, you know, they, they, they want you there. Um, but they didn't make that online content for you. They made it for the Jews 
who you know don't show up to anything. Um, and 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 but th these sort of misconceptions abound when you go on YouTube and type in Judaism. And like you say, like it's ninety percent beers, much more substantial than this than this guy here. Uh, <laughs> You have a fine beard, Michael. I appreciate that. Thank you. Back, back to what we were talking about. I mean, yes. that's, that is fascinating. Like I, um, again, I, I sort of kind of came around to uh, a great deal of respect for um, Chabad and specifically for the Rebbe and his mission. Like when nobody else was doing outreach, when, when, when his part of the Jewish world was, was and still is largely very insular, he struck upon this mission to say, I want, all I want is for more Jews to do more mitzvahs because I firmly believe that that's how we heal the world, right? That's how right. we put the, the klipot back together. Like that's, that, that is what Hashem wants of us is have Jews doing mitzvahs. And I cannot argue with that. And no, it's I, a and great I'm, message. I'm, I'm impressed with his zeal. I'm impressed with his marketing ability. Um, but you're right. They're not looking for people who aren't already Jewish. And that's not obvious to people who are just looking for good content online. I mean, I'm, uh, because there was no Safari, I was using the Chabad website throughout rabbinical school and I was looking for like copy and pasteable digital uh, translations and things right, like that. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't knock their mission, but I do, again, without throwing shade, have to tell people sometimes that they're not talking to you and there's only, I mean, they have a lot of great adult ed. Uh, that's their, that's their hallmark. Um, but you, but as somebody, if you weren't born Jewish, you can only go so far. Um, right. And there's some, I'll say deeply troubling theology <laughs> by that uh, in, in the sense of like who has, who's capable of having access to Jewish wisdom uh, and, and even adopting, if you will, a Jewish heritage. And so that's 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 a tough conversation. I, as I say, I, I get a, I get a lot of Chabad refugees. Oh, me too, absolutely. And you know, I I can't speak for Chabad. Uh, my understanding is none of the Chabad rabbis do conversions, um, but they they are willing to recognize Orthodox conversions done other places. Very few. It's a, like Brooklyn and certain more robust communities. I think Houston might 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 do. I'm sure in LA they have like limited access to. Right, right. So if you're in a Chabad and you're thinking, you know, you're, you're not Jewish, you show up at Chabad, you like it and you want to convert, they're going to send you someplace else and then you can come back. But it's, it's, a, it's a very different, um, it's a very different model. Um, this is something Juan and I have spoken about in, in the past about how um, when so much of what Chabad has done has gone online and not just Chabad, but all the Jewish outreach organizations, right. they go online, they make all this material. It's with a goal of convincing Jews who are not religious or who are not Orthodox to or embrace just how they are religious. Right, right. It's, it's about embracing Orthodox Judaism. Um, but you know, when you put it on YouTube, it goes everywhere. It's going to India. It's going to Australia. It's going all over the world to all sorts of human beings who find an interest in it. And they are accidentally proselytizing. The, you know, it, it wasn't their goal. It wasn't their intention. But they have uh, they've told the entire world about Judaism now and people are interested in it. Right. And so and so what do you do with those people? Right. You, right. you 
you know, you can, you can say, okay, this far and no farther, you can shunt them into the permanent waiting room of, of Noahidism or mm. however you say that word. Right. I mean, that's, 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 that's a place where I like to grind an ax. Uh, I won't grind it too hard, but it's, it's this idea of, you know, you can't, you, you can't have what we have, but you can be a Noahide and God loves you just as much, which I'm not going to argue, you know, God loves you just as much, right? That's a, that's a true statement. Um, but to say that there's nothing else that a person can do is, um, I'll say inconsistent with Jewish history. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I want to I wanna move over to, uh, to our text here because we got, we got a good one. The text we're going to look at is from uh, Exodus 23.9 um, in the Hebrew. V'ger lo tilchatz v'atem yadadatem et nefesh hager ki gerim heitem v'eretz mitzrayim. In the English, you shall not oppress a ger. You know the heart of the ger because you were gerim in the land of Egypt. I thought you said it was going to be in English. I know. We left, we left the word ger untranslated on purpose um, because that's the question. What is a ger? What is this term? We, we know it in the 21st century as someone who converts or a Jew by choice or whatever term you want to use. Obviously, it's not that in this verse. So what's going on here? Right there, it, I, I wish I knew the history of this better. There's at some there's an inflection point, um, I think, in the rabbinic period where it goes from from a ger, meaning um, uh, my best understanding of it in the biblical context is a sojourner, you know, a, a a resident alien or a fellow traveler, you know, somebody who is in your land uh, but not one of your people. Uh, genetically speaking, right? They yeah. don't have a, They don't have. They're 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 in your neighborhood, but they don't have a tribe that they can they, that they can call their own, um, which I think is the context here because it's talking about our status. It's defining gear uh, by metaphor our status in Egypt when we were in Egypt, right? What were what were we in Egypt? We were resident aliens in the sense, you know, we, we were there because Joseph was there. We had our own neighborhood. <laughs> we had, you know, we, we had, we had the, the, uh, the, the, the ranching district uh, in Goshen. And, and so that's, you know, if you're talking about our status in Egypt, that's, that's what it's talking about. So it's saying, okay, anybody who is like that to you, you know, as you were to Egyptians, people who are like that to you, this is how you go about it. And then sometime in the rabbinic period, it becomes uh, the term for converts. Uh, or maybe not, in, in essence, because my, my favorite text on this comes from uh, Baba Metzia, where it's talking about not embarrassing the convert, which we talked about elsewhere. But, um, but it's saying, you know, if somebody is a ger, don't embarrass them. Or if somebody is the, and this is my my favorite line, you know, if if somebody is the children of Gerim, uh, and they come up to read Torah, don't make some smart remark like, "Hey, the mouth of the people who used to eat shrimps <laughs> is now speaking the words of the Holy One," <laughs> something like that. You know, shrimps are Mason, like the bug eater up there uh, is is now is now is now teaching Torah. Isn't that nice? Um, but it uses the word ger again. And so it's, uh, it's talking about somebody who has a different status, but it, throughout uh, the rest of rabbinic literature and halakhic literature, certainly by the time of the Shulchan Aruch, it's talking specifically about somebody who converts to Judaism. Um, but, I, but I like the language, I guess, better of that sort of fellow traveler. 
Mm. Um, because I think it includes and some of the folks that we're talking about. There's this whole sphere within the Jewish community of uh, that covers people who are sort of with us in various stages of, I don't know if you want to call it commitment or, or just recognition, right? Because there's folks in my synagogue and in every synagogue, I think, and a lot of synagogues where where they're not uh, where they're where they're recognized as full human beings and part of the community, um, who are married to a Jewish person, who have spent years supporting the community financially, supporting their kids going through Hebrew school, supporting every every part of the community. In some places they're recognized, in some places they're not. In some places they're left off the member roles. In some places they're board members. Hmm. Um, but they have these varying degrees of commitment or recognition because you can't say these folks aren't committed. Well, the, the, the thing is like the way, the way the verse is structured, uh, putting Egypt on one end of the verse and, and Lotil Chatz don't oppress. Mm-hmm. I think what this verse is focusing in is Egypt during Joseph. I don't think, I don't think that the slavery, what we're reading right now in the Torah uh, here in uh, late January of, of, of slavery and the plagues. I, I think that is not what this verse means is the Egyptians treated you kindly. Mm. There was this moment in which you were sojourners in Egypt and you were treated kindly. And then it changed is don't be like Egypt. Be, be able to sustain these, uh, these sojourners among you with, without falling into the very human, I guess, uh, instinct of of oppressing and and limiting and rejecting, um, which eventually the rabbis square the circle and say, well, what better way of preventing this than actually creating a, a way for you to become part of us? And that's when the language shifts. But because of the texts in Baba Metzia that, that you brought up, um, Apparently, still human nature is is resilient in in its good ways and its bad ways. So even <laughs> even like when when the rabbis are talking about gerim, they they clearly mean us. They clearly mean converts and say like. And yet, even though you went through all of this, and yet even though you got circumcised and went to the mikvah and are now part of the community and have equal responsibility and equal rights, there is still an issue of of lachats of of, of oppression. Um, because there is a power differential. And that, that, that is one of the reasons I, I really wanted to bring this text because it's something that no one talks about. Not, it's certainly not the, the 90% of, 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 of material that is fundamental because they have, again, this is not a, a content that is being produced for these people with the rare exception of the boutique rabbis that work the Noahide angle, which again, I also don't understand very well. Um, and and if, if we are a less powerful demographic within the Jewish people, what does vidatem et nefesh hager, know the, know the soul of the convert, know the soul of the proselyte? What, what does that what does that mean? And it's something that we've talked privately, but I think now it's good to put in the open. If you had a panel, if you had a podcast talking about women in Judaism hmm. and you didn't have a woman, 
Hmm. What would happen? Like, how would I can't would even any, imagine? How would anyone who would be so with, foolish to do something like that with any any kind of seriousness? Same thing. We're talking about LGBT Jews, yeah. LGBTQ Jews, right? And right. we and, and just a, a panel of straight white hetero guys, cisgender, whatever. It it's not going to fly. But but yet, time and time again, the Jewish community talks about conversion, plans about conversion. And often our voices are not included because the model, the ideal is this, is this um, blending in, absolute blending in where you can't ask questions and you can't tell your story because you're supposed to be one of us. And I have this like image of Homer Simpson, like, like going into the bushes, <laughs> kind of like very right. self-effacing. But I think from your experience, and I was, re- I, I was taking notes while you were talking, when you create a Torah for seekers, that is not Judaism for dummies. A lot of people think like that it's an issue of complexity, uh, mm-hmm. that it's an issue of like Hebrew. And yes, that that all Hebrew can be a stumbling block and Hebrew can be a gate. And um, and if you manage to work around and make it more accessible, you're going to have a better product. But also when you have Torah for seekers, Torah for this demographic that is intentionally for this demographic, then this Torah is addressing questions that other Jews might have. Like mm-hmm. in many ways, the Torah for the seekers might be the key to the millennials. Like I, 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 I know that in your case, it was like an either or like, why do I focus on this, on this demographic and rather this demographic? I have seen that the Torah that is created like from this perspective of absolute openness, I'm, I'm setting a path and I want you to walk this path. Like, I, I, I think this is a good thing for humans to do and you are invited to do so. And I'm telling you why this is important and I'm telling you how this is important to me. And I'm inviting you to create that meaning. That is a better way of reaching people who are born Jewish, but don't have a lot of the presuppositions. Yeah, and, and I have to tell you, my, my experience is completely resonant with that in the sense that... Um, you know, I, I set out, let's say, not necessarily to only go after people who are converting. I was just doing Judaism 101 stuff. I was getting a lot of hits. <laughs> the, the people who were reaching out to me and responding, you know, commenting, you know, asking me follow-up questions and things like that. Like I said, I'm going to say 50, 60% people who were on a conversion path, but a lot of them not. And that was a that was a very important realization for me in my development as a rabbi was understanding that um, so many Jewish people are alienated from the things that we teach, uh, you know, for 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 a variety of reasons. Like I'm in the conservative Jewish movement, uh, which means a good chunk of our services are in Hebrew, and. That is uh, that I love it because <laughs> I love that we're maintaining that part of our heritage. I love that we're we're tapping into that ancient stream, and it is terribly alienating, and it it is such a high barrier to entry for people. This this is this is one of my this is one of my um, uh, missions, I guess you could say. I was going to say you know bugaboos, hobby horses, whatever. However you want to talk about it is is that we have folks coming into our synagogue. I mean, I think the synagogue should be the one place where every Jew feels native, Mm. feels at home when they're buffeted by the storm in their household, in their job and the political environment, what have you, there should be one place they could come and feel at home, like an embassy, 
if you will. Like, this is base, right? This is safe. Nobody can tag me here. <laughs> and they walk into a place that should but feel like it belongs to them. And that's the place where they feel most foreign for whatever reason, whether they were alienated as a youth, whether people thought, you know, they didn't, you know, they, they, people wouldn't condescend to teach them the basics if they didn't pick up the basics. Um, and so that's why I teach what I teach is to break these barriers down for everybody, Jews included. And I, I love it when people uh, you know, ask me to do a wedding or if I'm, if I'm doing a bar mitzvah and then the big part of the family isn't Jewish and they say, Rabbi, will you explain some of these things to my non-Jewish parts of the family? And I said, yes. And I'll, uh, I'll explain it to the Jewish folks too. Right, right. <laughs> because, because not every, you know, it's, it's safe, you know, if you, if you don't understand the Hebrew, you're in good company. Um, and so that, I mean, that is so resonant with my experience that um, just teaching the basics in a loving, open way, yes, that helps the convert, but it help, helps all sorts of people who have that, that experience of this is my birthright and I have no idea what's going on. Right. And those folks, in some sense, are sojourning along with those of us, you know, baptized Lutheran. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Oh, like yours truly. Right. <laughs> you too? <laughs> Me too. Yep. Uh, we, actually, we, went, we went to Methodist, but I, we started Lutheran. So. Get out. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, no, yeah, me, true. Me too. So, <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. I want, I want to bring a couple of these uh, these threads together here back, back in the text itself. Um there's this um so if, if you just like we're going to do a little time trail here if you're in biblical israel biblical israel a, a, it's a kingdom it's got borders and who is the gear the gear is someone who isn't a citizen but they cross that border and now they're in and they might have been there for a day they might have been there for 20 years um but they're they cross that border and now they're now they're in um, and then that all disappears because the kingdom disappears, the, the political structure disappears. Um, and now the Jewish community is, has to you know, wrestle. This is the rabbinic enterprise in a sense, is wrestling with, uh, with that change in uh, historical circumstances. And you know, uh, whether it's Rabbi Akiva or whoever it is sort of formalizes the concept of ger as this, um, as, as, as this uh, change of status this change of identity. And, you know, the three of us, we've all gone through that change of, of status. We've all, you know, gone to the Beidin, gone through the, the mikvah and all of that. Um, but what does it mean to sort of imagine that there's, there's resonance in the text, not only in the way we understand Ger now, but the way they understood it back then, where it's not so much about, I'm making a choice to change my status as much mm -hmm. as I'm on this journey. And I, I was walking down a road and it brought me into this kingdom. I was, I was living my life and I met a Jew and we fell in love. And, you know, can it, does it make sense to say that a ger in some way is those fellow travelers who are joining the Jewish people in, in our journey, whether they change their status or not? I, I think maybe I have a different, <laughs> I think I'm just, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out because I, I have a very different read on this and you know, and, 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 you know, Michael, this, this pasuk, this verse means so much to me. Um, I've often described it as my desert island verse, mm. right? If you took the entire Torah away from me and I got to keep one verse um, by which to live my life or one verse to teach everybody. Like if I could have a billboard, <laughs> right? And if I could put it in times, if I could pick, pick one verse and put it in Times Square, this would be the one. 
um, because for so many reasons, I think, I think it is a foundation of human justice, a foundation of human kindness it, that is ultimately universal. Right. And, and I, and I, and I know there's, there, there's, there's places for being special, right? Not everything is for everybody. Right. Um, but for me, this is a universal ist or universal teaching um, because it's, I mean, I, I like to break the verse down in three ways. For me, it's, it, it's sort of uh, doing good three ways in essence. So you can kind of divide it up like vigerlo til hats. Uh, is one. And then the third is you know, why is it a good thing not to be a jerk? <laughs> well, I'm going to give you three reasons not to be a jerk. Um, you know, the, probably the, the easiest, and this, this appeals to some Myers-Briggs categories, is because I'm your father and I said so. Hmm. Right? There's, there's the mitzvah aspect, like thou shalt not. Right. right. That, you know, if, because this, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're just looking for authority, this is, this is the authority you shall not. And then, so if, if that's where you get your justice and your kindness from, we've got that. Because you know what it's like. And this is an appeal to empathy. Everybody, everybody at one time or another has been the new kid at school, the new guy at a job, Right, uh, the first woman to be in a in, in a place that's been mostly men, you name it. Everybody's been had that. I, I like to think everybody's had that experience at one time or another, and that uh, that experience, that pain, that trauma, in some cases, has to be the wellspring of improving the world, right? Through empathy. Mm. Um, and then, <laughs> if you're not compelled by commandedness. And I've met Jews who are not. <laughs> um, if maybe you don't have that experience, or maybe you can't tap into that experience because it's too painful, right? Or you're not sensitive to it yet. There's still key gerum height and prime. You know, this is sort of Rawlsian, uh, sort of John Rawls' uh, attempt at justice as fairness, right? You've been in the whether you whether you feel this feeling, you have been in this boat, and mm -hmm. so you owe it to other people. Who are in this boat now to treat them humanely, right? Because you don't know, you know, you, you don't know what world you might be born into, uh, to to go to Rawls's veil of ignorance. And so, um, you know, for for me, uh, I, I'll, I'll say, and maybe maybe I've hijacked your question, but it's for me, it's not so much been about uh, any one person walking a path or one type of person. This is um, a uh, this is a categorical imperative. This is a categorical imperative. Don't be a jerk. Don't hurt people. Right. And if you need to know why, well, have you been hurt? And what does that feel like? And finally, is that fair? Because sometimes people go through that feeling and they just turn it around. It becomes a cycle of abuse. I know exactly what it likes, feels like to be a stranger. And so now that I'm inside, now, now that I have the power, I'm going to make sure everybody else gets hazed as well right that happens oh yeah and of it happens course. in our community more often than we like to 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 address uh, right uh i don't know what the interactions but like between cohorts and synagogues that have cohorts of conversion uh mm -hmm. then once people like are in they feel a little bit more um uh 
I've seen it in my work in Latin America. Yeah. Like, well, now that I'm in, now I can uh, lure. Right. And that is so common and that is so natural. That's why cycles of abuse exist, right? That, that is why people who gain power then become uh, the, the oppressor to others. Um, am, am, I, am I advocating for it? <laughs> Absolutely not. But um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, I, I love Torah for a lot of reasons, but, my, but what led me into Torah was how it gets us, mm. <laughs> how it is so real about the human condition, how it starts our story with, with a messy family right. <laughs> because we all have them, right? And it, it has our number and it says, look, we know the natural inclination if you've uh, been treated shabbily as a stranger is to turn that around on people. But is that fair? You know, and wouldn't you prefer to, you know, wouldn't you prefer that somebody had treated you a little bit better when you were a stranger in the land of Egypt? It is confusing is, I mean, the, the way the word has evolved makes, makes things, um, you know, it, it takes a sort of universal sentiment that you should be nice to the people who wander in into a sentiment of be nice to the people who wander in once they make a conscious choice to join your people. Um, which is some, saying something quite different. And I think right now we're, we're, we're blessed with, with the possibility of kind of like reverting to, I, w- I would not say the, the original meaning of Ger, but certainly the original intention. Because for, for, for the past 2,000 years of Jewish history, not only were converts kind of like a powerless minority within a very powerless minority towards the outside world, so... So there was a there was a hefty entrance, um, uh, like, like there was a, a, a hefty entrance fee. But right now we do have a lot of people who are fellow travelers, who are fellow travelers. Whether whether it's uh, the non-Jewish spouses of Jews or people who feel called to Jewish wisdom, um, people who are called to Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah. Like I, I'm not a Kabbalist, but but you are in LA, John. You know that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've I've heard of this couple, <laughs> and and that is and, and that is a, a, a one of the of the shapes that this that this gerut is taking in the contemporary time, and how a Torah that is addressing those issues is beneficial in the long run for 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 Jews and converts and sojourners and seekers and neighbors. Because this 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 term is is so wonderfully polyvalent that it can it can be anything. It can describe it describes Jews in our verse. You were Gerim. You right. you were mm-hmm. sojourners. Uh, uh, we don't know if if it, like we're always moving from the periphery to the hub, and, right. and Ger is the language of periphery. I'm in the periphery. I'm in the mm-hmm. outside. I'm in the borders, going in, going out. It's a liminal term, but everyone's been there, and 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 and, and the right. pieces are always in motion. Right, and I'm not suggesting that we're like throwing out two thousand years of understanding of this word, mm-hmm. and that the you know the the person who wanders in the first day they're there that now they're a ger and they can get an aliyah to the Torah because they like. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm not talking about overturning the the halakhic understanding of of this word, um, but um, just sort of like you say, augmenting it or understanding the intentionality behind the, the original meaning of saying there, there are a lot of people on this journey together. What does it mean to say that everyone is welcome on the inside, that everyone, is a, everyone has the potential to become an insider? Um, 
And it's not a matter of, you know, you go through the process, we say the magic words, and now you're an insider. It's a process of saying, we understand that you have become a fellow traveler with us and that we're on this journey together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love that in the sense that um, it's, a, it's a reminder. It sort of serves two purposes in a way. It is, um, it's a declaration for the person who's, let's say, outside now, and I'm just using the simplifying language. It's a, it's a reminder for the people who are on the outside. We get it. Right. You are among friends, right? You are in good company. If you, if you feel like you're alone in the world, <laughs> you're in good, uh, this is ironic. Like, if you feel like you're alone in the world, you're not alone in feeling that way. Right. right? And, and, and we've got the receipts, like we've got the history to prove <laughs> it. We've, we've been kicked out of every country that's ever been a country, sometimes twice. Right. Right. And, and so you, the, the, we have that experience as well. And we, while we're healing that pain can help you heal that pain. And, and it's a much needed reminder to the folks on the inside as well. Right. Right. Don't get comfortable in the sense that, you know, you're, 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 you're not, you're not so Mr. Fancy pants <laughs> that you've never <laughs> had this experience. And, and, and let's, let's, you know, if you feel comfortable on the inside, and that allows you to ignore the people on the outside, you know, remember where you come from. Absolutely. Right? And, and that's that at the very least, remember that feeling. And if you want to, if you want to call it and raise it, act like you remember it and mm. how you embrace people who are having a tough time. Wonderful. We're going to have to wrap it up here. Um, John, Rabbi John Carrier, thank you for being our, our special guest. And we're, st we're still doing, we're, this is still sort of the inaugural series of, of our <laughs> sure podcast. Thing. And it, it means so much for you to be able to join us. Um, Juan, thank you uh, for co-hosting with me as always. And um, we're still getting everything up and going. You can like us on YouTube and Facebook and find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And one of these days we'll get a website and everything, but uh, go, go check us out. We want to thank Joe Buchanan for the use of his song for our theme music, and we want to encourage you to go check out his new album. The link is in the description. Thank you, Joe, and we hope to have you on the show pretty soon. We want to hear from you, our watchers, our viewers, our, our listeners. Please check in with us, leave comments, or ask us questions. Um, and we, 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 might even, we might even try to answer the questions on, on future episodes. So oh, please, well. please check in with us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, so before, um, before we wrap up, I just please. want to say thank you guys. This has been an amazing conversation. I really believe in the work that you're doing. Uh, I hope I, I hope uh, I hope people in my community get to hear from from other wise from wise rabbis and not just me. <laughs> I'll say. Um, and if anybody out there uh, wants to continue a conversation, uh, go to JewishLearningCommunity.com. I mentioned that we're starting up a, a new school pretty soon. It might be started up by the time it's there. And, you know, whether you feel like taking classes with me or not, if you just want to say hello, uh, that's where you can find me. Wonderful. JewishLearningCommunity.com. We will get that in the description on this episode. And I want to thank everyone for watching. Thank everyone for listening. And to everyone, I want to say, welcome. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharim, Malachi.